Hey, I'm thankful for you, Lifehouse. I'm so thankful for you. I, the Lord's been good to us in 2023. And I, I really believe, you know, talk is cheap, right? You can say anything. And, and it's funny because I know things that I could say in a church service as a preacher that will always get a reaction. Like there's just certain things you can say and do. And, but that's kind of cheap, right? So when I say this, I don't say it for that purpose, but I, I believe with all of my heart, I really believe this, that 2024 is going to be a year like we have never seen before in this church. I really believe that. I believe that we're gonna see growth. I believe that we're gonna see the miraculous. I believe that we're gonna see salvations. I believe that we're gonna see families restored. I believe that we're gonna see bodies healed. I believe, I believe we're gonna work harder than we've ever worked before, but I believe we're gonna see more fruit than we've ever seen before. I believe that. I really believe that. On the church calendar, like the liturgical church calendar, Christmas lasts till January 6th. Did you know that? Raise your hand if you knew that. And I didn't know this before, because um, I would call January 6th Epiphany. But what else is it called? Well, no, yeah, there's that. There's Mardi Gras. What? Three, three Kings Day. I didn't realize that, although it makes very good sense. Because the reason why it's called Epiphany is that's the day that we sort of celebrate or recognize when the wise men, the Magi, discovered Jesus. And so the purpose of Epiphany is to celebrate the gospel being revealed to Gentiles or non-Jewish people. And, and so January 6th is technically the end of the Christmas holiday. However, in my home, Christmas begins November 1st. I think we've all established that. You know that that's the truth for me, right? But as my wife can attest, it ends December 25th at around 11 a.m. Uh, because at that point in time, I am ready to clean up the mess, pull down the tree, throw it in the storage unit or the attic or wherever we're taking it to. I want to walk through my living room without running into stuff. And yeah, can I get a witness in the house today? Yeah. And so I want to take a moment and talk about these, we don't know how many men. We'll talk about that in a moment. Maybe three, these three kings, these three men. Uh, these magi, we're going to talk about this moment when they worshiped. I want to talk about the gifts that they brought. If you will, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 2 in your Bible. Once you find it, uh, will you go ahead and stand as we get ready to read the word? Once you get to Matthew chapter 2. And I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you the, the, the crux of the message right here. So if you've got to get out of here early, then, well, you've already got it. So I will tell you, though, it's going to be a short one today. So don't, and I mean that this time. But the, the series that we've been in is called Unto Us. And so here's the point of today's message. The, the title of the message is Unto Him. So if someone gives you a gift, there is a proper way to respond and an improper way to respond. How many of you as children at one time or another responded in an improper way to a gift given to you 
and were disciplined as a result of that improper. Anybody honest enough to say, you didn't say thank you or, or you know, we tell our kids, if, if someone gives it to you, don't let the first words be out of your mouth. I've already got this. Right? Has that ever happened? And you just, you look at them from a distance. And if, you know, I don't believe in the force from Star Wars, but, you know, anyway. So today I want to talk about the proper response to the gift that was given 2,000 years ago. Isaiah prophesied it unto us a son is given unto us a child is born well the only proper response to that gift is that unto him I offer my worship unto him I offer my treasure unto him I offer myself there you go that's the message you guys want to stick around for the rest of it though okay good thank you very much that makes me feel better Matthew chapter 2 now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, or magi, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. We have come to worship him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we have come to worship you. down at your feet. Lord, the temptation rises up in us daily to go back to that altar and to pull things off of it that we had laid down, to pick them back up. By the power of your spirit, I pray that you would help us to lay everything your feet and to leave it there as an offering, as worship unto you. Our treasure, our worship, ourselves. name. Lifehouse said amen. 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 One more time. Can we celebrate the goodness of the Lord? I love, I know you haven't heard me say this. I love Christmas. I just like it a lot. I love the nativity scene. I love, I just love it. I love the manger, I love all the little elements that, that surround it that we talk about and that we point out. 
I love kids' Christmas programs. I, um, as a child, I was in a couple of them here and there. And, uh, you know, I, I, I wore my dad's bathrobe multiple times playing Joseph or Shepherd or something or another, you know. Um, I just love it. I love all the, just the details around it. And one of my favorite is, is the wise men. And so a couple of questions for you this morning. And if you want to shout out an answer, that, that'll be fine. It'll probably be funny as well. Maybe, hopefully, that's what I'm counting on anyway. But who were these three wise men? Oh, better yet, were there three? Anybody know? Yeah, we don't know. Why do we think that there were three? Why do we all often kind of make it look like there were three? The three gifts, yeah, of course. And which were? Gold, Frankenstein, and myrrh, right? That's what I thought it said as a child as well. I was probably some, like a sophomore in Bible college before I realized it was frankincense. And that wasn't the same thing. Where, where did the magi, where did the wise men come from? Anybody know? It's in the text, right? It's in, it's in the text. We, we think more than likely they were from the Persian Empire. Now, side note here, we're not doing this today, but if you want to do a real deep study into who the wise men were, really, you have to go back to the book of Daniel and how he influenced the Persian Empire and how, does that, is that tracking with anyone right there? We think they were from the Persian Empire. Um, when did they come? When did these wise men come? Does anybody? How old was Jesus when, when, when they came? Two. Two. How do you know that? Exactly. You don't know. You don't know. You think you know. We think I, he could have been a baby. He could have been two. He, some, first service, they said he was three. We have some good guesses, but we don't really know. Does anybody know what the wise men's names were? Right. Did you know that an early church father named Origen actually gave them names? Caspar, Melchior, and Balthazar, right? I'm sure I didn't say those correctly, but he, he's not around here to correct me. They gave them names. We don't know why he gave them names. He just wanted to assign names to them. Here, here's the thing about these wise men that's, that's funny, but can also become problematic, is that people a lot of times get really worked up over stuff that just doesn't really matter, Amen. right? And, and then they'll take that kind of argument to Facebook. Someone will post a sweet post about, about the nativity or they'll take a picture of the nativity in their yard and some know-it-all on Facebook will go, actually, Jesus wasn't there. Or the wise men weren't there when Jesus was first born, right? We'll say that. You know. And so if you're going to make a resolution this year, just go ahead and make your first resolution to not engage in frivolous arguments on Facebook. Or at all, for that matter. It's going to be an election year. We're going to have plenty to talk about on social media anyway. Right? I would encourage you to just take the word actually, which is probably the most pride-filled word in the English language. Right? You know? Actually, Pastor Drew, if you knew what I knew. Yeah. And just say, you know what, Lord, help me to get rid of that word out of my vocabulary. You guys Okay. Okay, what really matters about these men? I can tell you right now, it doesn't really matter where they came from. It doesn't really matter how many they were. It doesn't even really matter if they came when Jesus was first born or when he was two or three years old. What really matters about these men is that they bowed down and they worshiped Jesus. Amen? Come on, amen? 
And so these magi were more than likely religious and intellectual elites, right? Remember, coming from the east, from the Persian Empire, they were probably astronomers or mathematicians or philosophers, some sort of highly intelligent thinker who would often find themselves in the presence of royalty. And I want you to understand that however many there were, wherever they came from, whenever they came, they came to Jesus and they were royal. They were elite. They were intelligent. They were carrying around very expensive resources, expensive things in their possession, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And they come to Jesus or they come to this moment when they encounter Jesus and they bow down before him in the presence of a lowly carpenter, an illiterate teenager, because there's no way a, a teenager of Mary's age would have had any kind of formal education at this point in her life, and a baby or a toddler, and they bow down and they worship before him. What, what this teaches us is that the only appropriate way to approach Jesus is with humility. The only appropriate way to approach Jesus is with humility. Regardless of how much you know, regardless of how, how uh, talented you are or how skillful you are, regardless of who your parents are, regardless of how much money is in your bank account, regardless of whatever worldly bragging rights you have, humility is the only approach to Jesus And these men, however many there were, how, how far they came or, or when they came, what they did is they worshiped. They used their intellect. They used their skill. They used their position. They used their resources. They used their time. And they used their energy to discover and to worship Jesus. To discover and to worship Jesus. Come on, second resolution you can make going into 2024. The first one is uh, don't argue on Facebook. The second one is I will use every resource God has given me to better discover who he is and to better worship him for who he is. Come on. Come on. Can we, can we agree to that? I will, four of you are on board with that. I will use every resource the Lord has given me to better discover who he is and to better worship him for who he is. One more time. Can we, can we all join together and say amen to that? And so they gave these three gifts. What's special about these gifts? Go to, uh, again to Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 9. It says, after listening to the king, this is, they were talking to King Herod. And so after listening to their king, uh, they went on their way. And behold, a star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Really, if you think about it, kind of impractical gifts to offer, you know, at a baby shower. It's kind of what I think of it in my mind. Um, now, the, the very logical situation that's occurring here is if you keep on reading, you find out that Mary and Joseph, along with baby Jesus, would actually have to flee 
and go to Egypt because of Herod's plan to kill all baby boys two years old and younger, which is why a lot of people assume that Jesus was two when, when the wise men came. And so they had these very expensive and very tangible gifts given to them, and so more than likely they were able to sell them to acquire the funds they needed to make that journey to go down to Egypt. But there is something even greater represented in the gifts themselves, the gold and the frankincense and myrrh. And each of these gifts represent a standard of worship that, when we think about it, will better help us approach Jesus as our king. Amen? And so we look at the gift of gold, and I promise I'm not taking a long time this morning, so you can go ahead and almost start packing up, but don't do that because that would be distracting. So the first gift we have is this gift of gold. Now, gold is a precious metal. It's a treasure, and it is a common gift to give to a king. And so when they give Jesus this gift of gold, it is a statement of the royalty of Jesus that not only is he Jesus, the Son of God, not only is he Jesus, Messiah, but he is Jesus, King. He is Jesus, King of kings. Amen? His head is going to wear the crown. He, he will sit in the throne. And so what this communicates to us is that the standard of worship, the standard, not, not, uh, not the best way, but the only way to worship is to bend our knee to the king by offering our treasure unto him. In this era 2,000 years ago, you got to understand, the king doesn't just own the palace, right? The king owns everything. The king owns every home. He owns every animal. He owns every business. He owns every blade of grass. And so when we proclaim Jesus as king, whether we know it or not, we are proclaiming that he owns it all. All that I am and all that I have belongs to him. Let me say it like this. All my gold belongs to Jesus. Everything in my life that I have assigned value to belongs to Jesus. My truck, can I just be practical? My truck, it belongs to Jesus and TVA. But it belongs to Jesus first of all, all right? Can I get a witness in the house, right? My, my, my home, it belongs to Jesus. My, my phone, it belongs to Jesus. This, this iPad that I'm using with notes, it belongs to Jesus. The food in my pantry, the pictures on my wall, the decorations on myself, they belong to Jesus. The clothes on my body, the shoes on my feet, the books on my bookshelf, my sofa, my living room, it belongs to Jesus. You thought you worked hard to get what you got, but really what you have gotten is a product of God's goodness and grace in your life. All my time, it belongs to Jesus. Every, every spot on my calendar, whether I have already booked an appointment or not, it ain't mine. It belongs to Jesus. Every dollar in my bank account, even if it is already spoken for, it belongs to Jesus. You going to help me out? My energy, it belongs to Jesus. It all belongs to Jesus. When Jesus is my true king, I recognize that nothing in my possession is actually mine. I don't have the right to make decisions about my life that are in contradiction to his will for my life if I call him king. 
if I call him Lord, I have opinions, I have preferences, and I have desires. But when I come to Jesus and I confess him as my king, as my Lord, and as my Savior, I take all of those other opinions, decisions, uh, comforts, and conveniences, and I give them to him. And I say, Jesus, I am crucified with you. And the life that I live, I don't live it to do what I want to do. I live it to do what you called me to do. You guys okay? I didn't feel that coming. My family belongs to Jesus. My kids belong to Jesus. Can I tell you, I don't like that. Because he might call them to do something I don't want them to do. He might call them to move far away and do something in another country or, God forbid, somewhere out west or up north. Figured some of y'all get a kick out of that. My marriage belongs to Jesus. You know the reason why marriage exists isn't to make you happy. It is to exemplify the relationship between Jesus and his bride, the church. It is a living illustration of that. My marriage exists to glorify the Lord. My giftings, my talents, my skills, my possessions, my resources, everything. If he really is king, if he really is Lord, I have to give it to him and say, God, whatever you want to do, that's what is going to get done. Can we just decide right now in our own hearts? Now, this is not an easy decision. Can we be real about it? Like, it's easy to make this decision in a moment on a Sunday morning during a message. But it becomes increasingly difficult during the week when things start going opposite of the ways that I want them to go. Or when through the Holy Spirit, God begins to make demands on me, asking me to do certain things or not to do certain things or to say certain things or not to say certain things. But can we just make up our mind that right now, God, to the best of my ability, I want to give everything I am to you. I want to give everything that I hold valuable to you. And Lord, when my, my grip begins to tighten and hold it and to keep it from you, that through your love and through your goodness, God, that you would remind me, Lord, that everything I am is because of you. So God, I will lay it down at your feet. Amen. In the giving of the gold, we are reminded that our treasure, our valuables belong to our king. In the giving of the frankincense, that is an acknowledgement that Jesus is God. You see, frankincense was an aromatic oil or incense burned in the temple as worship to the Lord. And so when we, when we talk about frankincense, what we're really talking about is, is worship. Now, there's really two ways I think of worship. First and foremost, worship is how I live my life. Yeah. But there's also a, a, a more spiritual element to that. Uh, for instance, we just worshiped in song, right? So the standard of worship is to bend our knee to our king by offering our heart to him. That's the spiritual side of it. And for many people, it might be easier for you 
to give money in the offering than to lift your hands in worship. For, for many of you, it might be easier to serve somewhere on this property, greeting or in the media booth, than it is for you to sing out praise songs as we worship as a church together corporately, right? I know a lot of times men have problems with that because they feel like it makes them vulnerable, and, and it does. And that's why you need to do it, because that's what worship does. It makes you vulnerable to his presence. See, there's got to be a spiritual side to this. And, and even if it does, doesn't come naturally to you, it is your responsibility to develop what is less natural to you, right? And so I just want you to make up your mind right now that going into 2024, starting right now, starting today, December, what, 17th, going into this Christmas holiday, that I am going to offer the king my heart, that I'm going to make up my mind that I will worship Jesus with my emotions, right? And, and, come on. We're, we're, we're quick to knock emotionalism, right? Did you see what they did during church? Did you see how tore up she was? Did you see how hard they were crying? Did you see them laughing? Did you see them shouting? Did you see them jumping? Did you see them dancing? I wish we could see more of that around here. Can I be honest with you? <clears throat> Who gave you emotions? For everybody that... Wouldn't listen. Who gave you your emotions? So the proper way to, to worship the Lord, one of the proper ways to worship the Lord is with my emotions. If you want to cry and worship, cry. If, if you want to shout, shout. If you want to dance, dance. If you want to lift your hands, lift your hands. Don't, here, here's, here's when it becomes dangerous. When you begin to worship with that in mind, not because you want to worship the Lord, but because you want to put on a show for your neighbor. That's when it becomes dangerous, and that's when it becomes a distraction, and that's when it becomes detrimental, and that's when you're going to get a phone call from me telling you to stop that, because I will. But we have to worship the Lord with our emotions. We have to worship Jesus with our song. That's, I said earlier, it's the singing portion of our service is it's like our frankincense. A lot of people think that the singing before a church service is just a formality. It's just what we do to get everybody kind of pepped up and ready for the message. Can I tell you that is not the case. It is, it is a time where we are given the opportunity to personally engage with the Lord. How many of you have ever tried to pray and you just did not know what to say? Yeah, I've been there. I've been there a lot. Did you know that, that God has anointed men and women from all around the world for, all, for many years now, decades and centuries even, to write songs so that we could sing either alone or corporately together as, as, as prayers, as worship to the Lord. So that when you don't know what to pray, when you don't know what to say, you've, you've got some assistance. You've got someone who has been anointed by God who's, who's helping you do that. The, the book of Psalms is even that for us today, right? We, we, anybody ever been in a situation where you were scared? where you were afraid, where you didn't know what was going to happen, where you were worried. And, and we've got someone like David who wrote Psalm 23 that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I know that you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Anybody ever messed up big time and you thought, God, I'm so sorry, and you felt so bad and you didn't even know what to pray? Anybody ever been there? Can I just tell you, I've been there, right? That You got a man, also David, who who does some awful stuff. He commits adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. He has her husband murdered. 
I mean, golly, that's bad. And, and, and God forgives him. How good is God? Right? Right? And so you have a man, David, who, who, is, who recognizes his rebellion against the Lord. And he writes Psalm 51. And he says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I know I deserve your punishment, but God, give me your grace. Come on, one more time. Can we thank the Lord for his goodness? I want to encourage you to worship the Lord in song like you never have before. That we would become a I mean, first and foremost, let's just address the obvious. We have an incredible worship team. But they're not here to give you a concert. Church is not an observation. It's not a concert. It's not, you didn't just come to, to watch the show. No, this is a participatory event where we gather together and worship. They're not putting on a show. They're just giving you some tools to help you worship the Lord yourself. And we've been blessed with an incredible worship team. And if you just sit there, Can I just tell you, I love you so much, and I'm so glad you're here. But it's time to stop playing games with church. It's time to just, it's time to stop blaming your past, too. A lot of you walked in, you got a lot of hurt, you got a lot of baggage, and I feel that, I get that, and I pray the Lord helps you with that. But when you stand before him in judgment one day, he's not going to say to you, well, I know you had a lot going on. So I get why you chose to not worship me when you had every opportunity every week. You know, there's people in other countries around the world. If they had the opportunities you did, they would do it. But they can't worship like that because they would be martyred for their faith. But, you know, someone hurt you. You had church hurt. I feel bad for you. You okay? Every, everybody in the room's got church hurt, okay? Can we just own that? I have yet to meet a person who's been to church for more than one day who ain't got church hurt. You know why you got church hurt? It's because people make up the church and people do stupid things. You've probably done some of them yourself. You're probably responsible for somebody else's church hurt. Don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right with God. When you do that, you have made yourself an idol and you have said to yourself and you've said to God, I am more worthy of my worship than you are. So, I want to encourage you to make up your mind today, this moment. When Don comes up here in a few minutes and he starts playing and singing and leading us, that you will worship the Lord in your song. And here's something else that you need to know. Jesus says in, in the book of John that when he is high and lifted up, he will draw all people to himself. Right? Now, how many of you understand in the Bible there are things that have layers to them? And sometimes they mean one thing, but oftentimes they mean more than one thing, right? And so Jesus is primarily referring to his death on the cross. When I'm high and lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. But I believe he is also referring to the when we worship him, that people are drawn to his spirit. People are drawn to worship because all people want to worship something, right? 
The problem is most people don't know what to worship, so they worship money or they worship sex or they worship power or they worship position or they just worship themselves, right? But the truth is we were created with a divine insecurity that draws us to look for the one who will fill that void within us. And so when you choose to worship, whether it be in church or in your car or at your job, in some way, shape, form, or fashion, when you choose to worship, there is an evangelistic part of you that comes alive that draws people to the God that lives in you, the God that you're worshiping. So your worship isn't just for you. Your worship is for the people who do not yet know the Lord. And next week, our kids are going to be in here, and it's going to be an awesome day, Christmas Eve, Family Sunday. We're going to have... The place is going to be packed. Get here early, right? How many of you know that more is caught than taught? I want want our kids, not just my own kids, but our kids. Like AJ said, if if you come to LifeHouse, you got kids in in the play tonight, right? So you need to be here at 630. But I want our kids to grow up worshiping the Lord because not of what we taught them in kids' house, but because of what they've seen through men and women who love the Lord and love them. You guys okay? I want to encourage you to make up your mind that you will offer King Jesus your thought life, that what you consume should be worship. What you think about should be worship. What you meditate on should be worship. And I can tell you what you meditate on when something bad happens. That when, when then crisis occurs, do you start spitting out profanities and panic? Or do you start, I'm trying to think of another one here, start prophesying peace, right? There we go. That should have. That was good. That was good. Now, what's your first response to problems? Is it panic or is it peace? Now, if it's panic, I want to lovingly tell you that the problem of that is not the not the situation that you're facing, but it's rather the situation you've created inside yourself. It, that's why Paul tells the church in Philippi in Philippians four eight. He says, "Dear brothers and sisters, one final thing." Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So many of us struggle to have peace in our lives because we're listening to podcasts about people killing everybody. Right? And we, let, we, we consume so much of that negative content that it lives in us. And then in moments of stress, when we are pressed, it comes out of us. If you want to have peace coming out of you, then you need to go to the Prince of Peace. Right? And get some of that in you. Some of y'all got convicted. Make up your mind that you're going to offer the king your prayer life. That you'll become a people of prayer, a person of prayer, both publicly and privately. Week of prayer begins January 7th, by the way. I heard a preacher say one time, if you, really don't know, if you really want to know who loves the Lord in your church, don't have a church service, have a prayer service. So I'll be looking. And then the last gift, the gift of myrrh. Are you guys okay? I know I said some hard things, but I hope you know that I said them from a place of love. And I've also said them from a place of preaching to myself in a lot of situations. Thank you for that amen back there. We have the gift of myrrh. This was given to Jesus as an acknowledgement of his humanity. Myrrh is a very expensive spice that was often used in embalming or the burial of a body. And so what this teaches us is that the standard of worship is to bend our knee to the king 
by denying ourselves for him. By dying to ourselves for him. The same way he denied himself on the cross, Jesus willingly and graciously laid down his life on the cross so that we who were far from God could be called and known as the children of God. And just like I said earlier, when someone gives you a gift, right, there is a proper way to respond to that gift and an improper way to respond to that gift. Now, the, the misconception of Christianity that has existed so predominantly for maybe the last 30 years of Christianity in the United States is that you pray this prayer and you meet it in your heart and now you're going to heaven when you die. All your sin is forgiven and, and now you, when you die, you get to go to heaven. And I want to I push back against that for a moment. I don't think that that's necessarily wrong, but it's not true. Do you understand? Because the call of Jesus isn't to pray a prayer in your heart and then now you know that when you die, you get to go to heaven. The call of Jesus is come, follow me, deny yourself and take up your cross. That, that's the call of Christ, not pray a little prayer and mean it in your heart. We, we're going to let you bow your heads and close your eyes so you don't feel ashamed, so nobody knows that you're the one praying it. No, 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 no. That's not the call of Christ. The call of Christ is die to yourself. Die to your opinions. Die to your, to your conveniences. Die to your comforts. Die to your preferences. Die to all the things in your life that keep you from becoming and being the man or the woman that God has created you to be. If, there's, if you've got something that you enjoy and God says to you, hey, this, this thing, maybe it's a relationship. Maybe, God, maybe it's a TV show. I don't know. Maybe it's a, a place you go and Jesus says, you know, this thing is keeping you from me in some capacity. It's, it's creating a barrier between who you are and who I've made you to be. And, and, and so the call of Christ is to say, I will give that up for Jesus because he gave everything up for me. I mean, can we just be brutally honest for a moment? The, in North America, A good church member only goes to church twice a month. How, how low can we make the standard? How, how, how far can we drop the bar? I'm not trying to beat you up. Okay, I hope you hear my heart. I'm trying to, I'm trying to lift you up. Unto us a son it's given unto us, a child is born. Well, God, I'd, I'd love to be at church this Sunday, but I got this golf tournament with my buddy that we've been planning for six months now. Unto us, a son is given. Unto us, a child is born. Lord, I'd love to, you know, I'd love to serve, you know, but I can only be there every other Sunday. You know, I've, I've got this standing appointment over here. I, I can't get there that often. <laughs> unto us. A child is born. Unto us a son is given. Lord, I'd love to talk about you at my job, but, you know, I can't risk harming those relationships. You know, my family depends on this income. 
Are you okay? Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. You know what that demands? It does not demand a cheap prayer. It does not demand two Sundays a month. It does not demand you saying I can't do it because it's hard. It demands, and this is hard and I get it and I'm preaching to myself this morning just like I'm preaching to you. It demands everything. Everything I hold dear, everything I care about, everything I have, it demands it all. If he is king, if he is God, and if he is truly Savior, everything, let me say it like this, anything short of everything I offer to him is an insult to what he laid down for me on the cross. Anything I offer to him short of everything is an insult, is a slap in the face of the one who gave everything for me. Oh, man, that's hard, though, isn't it? So what do we do? We make the decision today. Lord, I will worship you with everything that's valuable in my life. My time, my talent, my treasure, my family, my energy, everything I have. Lord, I will worship you with my heart. I will worship you with my song. I will worship you with my prayer. I will worship you, God. Whether I'm in public in church, whether I'm in private in my bedroom, God, I will worship you. My life, I will give it to you as worship. And Lord, that everything I am, God, that I will, to the best of my ability, I will match your death by offering my life to you. Romans 12, 1, I will offer my life to you as a holy and living sacrifice. And listen, there will be days, there will be days that you will go to that altar of sacrifice, that altar of worship, and you'll try to pull things back off of there, right? You'll try to pull stuff back. You, you, you set aside Sundays, right? You'll try to pull back that Sunday, and you say, well, this Sunday I got this going on, so God, I need to pull that back. Or you'll try to pull back some other commitment that you've made. And, you'll, and the goodness of God, the grace of God, not the condemnation of God, but the grace of God will remind you, no, 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 you've committed to give me everything. And I just want to tell you right now, this is, this is not just to give and to give and to give but Jesus made it very clear that when we come to him that when we then we give all from to him that we get all from him that he has come to give us life and life to the full and if you want to live your best life I want to tell you it's not a oh man it's not about being blessed and highly favored right that's great that's wonderful and if God wants to bless me let God bless me but it's about I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in, I don't live by the flesh. I live it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the blessed life. That's the good life. And according to the Bible, that's really the only way to live the Christian life. Will you stand? I know I've kind of beat you up. first service had a lot easier than you guys shouldn't have drank that Red Bull between services unless you're willing to die to yourself to your own ways, to your desires your will your comfort your conveniences you're not really following Jesus you're just going for a walk so let 
the standard for you, for your family, and for this church be that we will match his death by laying down our lives to him. Saying to him, Jesus, it's not about me. It does not have to be my way. Your kingdom's not Burger King, right? It doesn't have to be convenient. It doesn't have to be comfortable. It just has to be you. It just has to be you. I will offer unto him my ways, my wants, my comforts, my choices, my conveniences, my everything. Because unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. Amen? And like, like I said, that truth begs for a response. So as Don leads us, maybe you want to come to the altar and worship. Maybe you want to kneel. Maybe you want to lift hands. Maybe you want to shout, jump, and sing. Maybe you want to bow your head and cry because of what you feel. I don't care. But as Don takes a moment and leads us, can we worship him? Can we worship him in our song? Can we worship him with our heart? Can we worship him with all that we are? And can we make up our mind that our worship will not be relegated to a few moments on a Sunday, but it will define my entire life? That 2024 will not be the year I finally get out of debt. That 2024 will not just be the year that I finally lose those 20 pounds. That 2024 will be the year that I truly discovered the goodness of God and I truly gave him everything that I have. That that will be the defining resolution that we make as individuals, as families, and as a body of believers. Can we do that? Can we do that? Father, we love you. And God, as we consider this gift that was given, this son that was given, this grace that was given, this gift that was given, God, all that we are, Lord, we turn it back to you and we give unto you all that we have. Our treasure, our heart, our worship, our song, our life. That's the only way to truly worship you. And Lord, it's easy to say these words, but God, I pray that you will remind us of this commitment and that, Lord, that you will help us in moments, God, when we want to go back to that altar of worship and begin pulling things off of it and, and, and saying, you know, God, I gave you that, but, Lord, I want that back, that in your goodness and your grace and your patience that you will convict us of that sin and, Lord, that you will help us to continue to lay our lives down as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you. In Jesus' name.